0: Today, I'm here with Christian Yor from CLE Cigars. He's a first timer on Deep Cuts, which is always nice to say, considering this is episode like 133 or so. So uh, welcome to Deep Cuts. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, you've always been someone that I wanted to have on the show. Uh, when I work for another magazine, I know I wrote a story on you, so I know that you have a very compelling story and you're very... Integrated into the industry right now. You serve on the PCA board. uh You just have a lot going on and you, you've had your hands in a lot of different places in the industry that maybe some people didn't know about. So I'm looking forward to having this hour just to kind of speak to you about your career and your experiences thus far.
1: Uh, thank you. Actually, you know, and, and yesterday, June 28th, was, uh, I know the show's here a little later, but uh, yesterday was my, uh, 28th anniversary in the business. Wow, how does that feel? <laughs> it's <laughs> felt like a flash. It really has felt like a flash. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. The most impressive thing is uh, looking back of all the people that 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 I met, and there is definitely a change and a difference in in today's industry as it was back then. And I I, I really do miss. I know I sound like one of these old timers. I started young, right? Uh, but I, I really do miss the true greats, the Rolando races, the Estelo Padrones. I mean, these were men that business was, they never talked business, ever, ever, ever. Just like my father, they never talked business. They talk about tobacco, they talk about cigars. And now, yeah, obviously the industry grew and and companies became more organized and you, br- you brought in more business people. So all you talk about now is business almost all the time. So I really do miss that that, uh, the whole generation. And, and I think my dad's the last one left from those old guys.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, it reminds me of, uh, there's a sh- show on Showtime, George and, um, I think it's Tammy, George and Tammy Wynette. And he, he they, 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 show you like the course of his career. And at the end of it, he's like a, a older man. He's in a radio station. And they're asking him, how does he feel about country music? And he says, you know, country music today isn't what it used to be back in the day when, you know, when I was, uh, Coming up, you know, coming up, but he's like, it is, you know, it's probably not made for me though. He's like, it's probably made for for younger people. Um, is that kind of how you feel when you kind of look at the the industry as it is today? Like, is it a little bit like are there things that you just say like, wow, like this is like really different? This wouldn't have been what you know I, I would have done back in the day. But like, how do you handle that? You know what it was. I'll tell you what the the um
1: I was talking about this with Tom Lazzucca a, a, a couple of years ago. You know we used to go to Dortmund, right? Dortmund Fair in Germany. And in mm-hmm. that trip, there were, and I'll give you a couple of names from the past, yeah, you know, there was Tony Barhani who going on these trips. Tim Osgener, who just came back in. It would be Nick Verdomo. I mean, we would see rocky, but not but uh, not that often Lito going. so anyway, all of us because we all started about the same time and, and during the last boom ninety five ninety six and everything, everything to us was eye-opening. Everything. Every little experience was eye-opening. We would enjoy the trips, and that the, there was a tremendous amount of innocence. And, yeah, we had good business, but nobody was, like, super organized uh, as a company yet. And we all had... I felt back then, we were a lot closer to each other. And we, we were able to tell stories, and, and uh, I mean, now we got, you know, we were just at TAA a couple months ago, and I sat there with we're rocking till late at night, man. And we started telling these stories and just laughing to the point where, where tears are coming out. He goes, dude, we didn't know anything. And just the innocence of it all was, um, was pretty interesting for us.
0: Wow. Um, so I, we're going to touch on a little bit of that later on. But first, like, let's establish who you are. So you grew up in Honduras, correct? Yes, sir. <laughs> so what was your childhood like what was it like growing up in honduras growing up within this industry you know when when i was um
1: you know we we had a my my father has which he still has the farm now homestead farm i was born and we moved to this house right next to the farm it used to be an old old school and my father ended up buying the school and we moved in there and uh, you know my, my days were spent with with the um the workers the, the the workers children were my friends you know the, the the mechanics and the people who drove the tractors and the guy who did the crop dusting you know things like you know my thing was imagine this imagine this we we had a I, you know memories i have is we used to do crop dusting so when the airplane would come in taxiing to a hangar i would go and i hang from the wing as the guy was taxiing i was 5 years old maybe 6 years old when the guy would tell me to, he wanted to go do um, a round of crop dusting, he said, hey, "You want to come?" I go, "Yeah, yeah, sure." And I would jump in the airplane and do the round of crop dusting with the guy. You know, my wife doesn't then wouldn't let my kids go on their bicycles in a nice neighborhood in Miami. And I remember I, I'm doing th- these kinds of dumb things. You know, I I, uh, I learned how to drive around that age as well. We had these Suzuki jeeps pulling tobacco. So to me, being around tobacco was just absolutely normal. Playing around in the fields, you know, I have memories that 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 when I became older, it was very easy for me to get into the tobacco business because I, I knew a lot of these things already secondhand. I, mean, I wasn't an expert. I didn't know why. I just knew a lot of the things about it. I grew up around this, but you know, it, it, there was a um, it really was a good mix. In seventy seven, my father had an airplane accident and became paralyzed. So in seventy nine, we moved to Tampa. So when I was seven years old, we ended up moving to Tampa, where my father bought Perfecto Garcia, which is the same factory he worked in when he left Cuba, sweeping the floors. So now we get the experience to learn English, and I begin to see things from, from a different point of view. I remember playing in that factory, but I don't have that many memories for that, that place of Perfecto Garcia. And then, but that that uh, and that was also coincided with a time and and at a time when the cigar industry or the tobacco industry itself was. Was on a downward trend, so we weren't really around. When I grew up and when I started my formative years, there really wasn't that much tobacco in our life. And we lived in Tampa for three about three years. Moved back to Honduras. I mean, my had the farms, but at that point, he was getting more in the dairy business. And I ended up in a military school in Georgia. By the time I finished high school, which was 1989, it was uh, you know when end college. The boom started, but I did. I didn't know I want I wanted to avoid working with with my father at the time, and I just wanted to stay away from it. So, so it's real interesting how my, my personality was, or, or how I knew so much about it. I knew so much about that 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 I really enjoyed, but I also wanted to avoid it because my father was
0: has a real strong character. So, what did you you know? what were some of the things you picked up about life in general from your father? Cause I know he was a big influence on kind of your career tra- tra- trajectory and just who you are today.
1: You know, my father's a guy they, that's actually a very nice question. Thank you. Hey, uh, <laughs> one time I was working, I was working down Lee my father. Uh look, we've all had these days, right? I just didn't want to work man. I, I, I wasn't feeling it. So I think it was like, uh, I don't know, 4.58. And I left the office and I went to the house. And my dad says, so he when he gets home later, he goes, hey, what happened? He goes, oh, I don't know. My stomach wasn't feeling right or whatever. He knew, he knew it was BS, right? He goes, listen, Christian, let me tell you something. I get up about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. When I sit in my chair from driving or my car seat from driving around and go to the farm, by the time it's 6 30 in the morning, my back hurts, my shoulders hurt, my butt hurts, everything hurts. So please don't ever tell me you'll feel bad again. And I go, <laughs> so I was, I was actually pretty embarrassed when he said that. And I think that sums up his, his character. You know, my, my father was, this is a guy who's picked himself up two or three times, and it, but always hardworking, always very, extremely disciplined. And my father, I also learned from him is to observe and that you don't always need to follow the norm. We have to observe and understand that the the, the human, the human condition. So my father is very analytical that way. You know, I'm very grateful for, for, for the main thing is for showing me his drive and not quitting. That's the main thing. And I mean, I, I, that's, if there's one thing I could ever pass down to my, my, I have three boys, if I could ever pass something down to them is that
0: don't quit. Just just keep that drive and that focus. Do you want your sons to and aren't okay, this is two part question. Are your sons involved in the industry in any way and do you want them to be involved in the industry?
1: Uh, they are in and out right now, but nothing serious because i I want them also to uh, the answer and yeah yes I, I very much would love for them to be involved. They would be the fourth fourth generation in the industry it's a beautiful business it really really is a beautiful business and and there's there's so much cuz we we get to, we get to tell stories with our cigars and we make a product and and we become part of people's stories also right now they are they're going to look they're going to school i want them to have their freedom i want them to go someplace else and explore the things at the end you just want them to be happy you know the, the last thing i would want is for them to come over here because that's the last that was the last choice or last resort, or I want them to go somewhere else and feel like they're preparing. And whether it's two years or nine years or 15 years, once they're ready, they're ready to come back in. You know, you look at, um, you know, my, my brother took, uh, I don't know, 25, 30 years to go back to work with my dad. So, but he came back. And so it's like that. So, yeah, I mean, I I would love for them to be in the industry. But they, 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 everything takes time. You know, we, 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 the way I operate this company and, and business in general now, it's a 30 year, 30 year sunset, 30 year vision. So we have all the time in the world just doing things right every day, hopefully.
0: So you grew up working around tobacco. You kind of learned how to, to fly planes because of tobacco. I know flying for you is of being a pilot is a big part of. You know who you are. Like you really enjoy that, and I remember that from the interview that we worked on uh, for the magazine a couple of years ago. And you know, when I was speaking to people about you leading up to this interview, they were saying, you know, the pilot thing—you got to mention—you can't talk to Christian without talk mentioning the the pilot business. So, you know, what is it about flying that really appeals to you? I remember.
1: uh I have these visions of the road from Tegucigalpa to the far, from anywhere in Honduras in, in the seventies. They were just the roads weren't that good, so like for example, from from Tegucigalpa to Denly, where the factory is, it you it's it's only forty five miles as the crow flies, but it used to be four hours in a car. So my father bought bought an airplane. He yeah, he always had airplanes, Cessnas because it, it made a twenty five minute flight everywhere he went. You know, back and forth, it was simple. And I, I had these visions of landing on a soccer field when we were little. You know, I would sit in the back. <laughs> I remember one time the airplane was stuck. So mm. he says, hey, someone push me, push me. You would get the, the people that were playing, whatever, workers that were there, push the airplane. And I remember it was so muddy that day. And I remember that airplane, the props spinning, and the people in the back, they were just sprayed with mud. Everybody was just so happy they got to push an airplane and see all that stuff. So I, I, I always kind of like, I think it's called the uh, backcountry flying kind of a thing. And I always enjoyed being able to do that. And then uh, when I got older, I was able to start doing it for work. And, and uh, you know, when we were building Camacho, we didn't have salespeople. The company was growing. We didn't have that kind of a budget. So what I would do, we had four or five in-house people, and I would charter these airplanes, and we would hit one state a day five people we would call them blitzes. We would and then in a week we would do five states. It was amazing for us. So I found I, I found the use for the airplanes and I really began to enjoy the, the time that it gave me. I began to enjoy the fact that you know the scheduling was to my comfort. And eventually our cigar the cigar business, most stores started moving away from the big cities and going to the smaller towns because the you know, big cities they have expensive rents. So getting flights to these places was was always complicated. And we're never able to. So, you know, if I want to do an, an event in uh, I don't know and um, Greenville, it was it was if the event was from twelve to five one day, I would have to come in the day before and leave the day after. Now I can leave at nine o'clock and be home at seven PM or eight PM, right? And then and not even go home, but I can jump to different states at the time. So it's it's something I always it was challenging for me. It was something for continued education because when you get into the business, it's very easy to get into the rut of things. And but this is something that I do for for um, that also helps me keep building and you know, next step, the next slices, the next challenge. You know now, for example, I'm learning how to fly helicopters. That's my new thing. i to learning how to fly these things. I think they're fun and and there is a business purpose for them as well. So it's uh, yeah, I man, it's just something to bite you, man. And there's something very uh, primitive about my, my passion for flying. And I, for many years, I was embarrassed about it. I was like, Oh man, people are going to think, man, this guy, but finally, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to embrace it because I love it. It's what I, lo- I like to do. I don't do anything else. So I just work. So if I can able to, I, I'm able to implement something I love into my work, then that's fine. I'm lucky. I'm lucky to be able to do it.
0: And I like that idea that you just put out there about, you know, having, I don't even want to call it a hobby or just an interest that has a continual, like it doesn't have like a real endpoint. Like you're going to continue to get into this, go for the next license, go for the next thing. Cause I think that's important in business too, because you know, there's so many people, sometimes they get into a business and they get into a certain position and they're just like, I made it, you know, or they have this mentality of complacency and they stop learning. They think they know everything. They think, you know, I'm at the top now. There's no, nothing else for me to do. And they never push themselves to continue to learn. So I think, you know, even though it's, I'm sure you were able to take that same mindset and transfer it into the tobacco industry and the cigars, uh, that there's always something to learn. There's always something to kind of strive for.
1: Well, listen, Antoine, in, in life in general, comfort is your enemy the moment you get comfortable, you can just forget it. Look at, you know, we were, we sold Camacho and I was 36 years old. I was my father and I were, you know, we were in completely two different stages of life. And, you know, I think my father was 70 something, 70 maybe. So, uh, and, and I was 36. I can tell you that the people were nice. I, I, they, they couldn't be any nice. The family is very nice. So nothing ever negative about that. But those were two of the three most miserable years of my life mm. because it, it's you, you reach a certain goal, right? You reach a certain goal but you're like, Oh, what? Oh, so this is what it feels like, huh? And I, I was bored out of my mind and bored out of my mind. It just wasn't challenged. And, you know, and that's really the reason I don't think I've ever been that open about this. I think that was the real reason why I wanted to do something else. And I wanted the new challenges. I wanted to start something, something new because I was just bored out of my mind, bored and depressed, extremely depressed. So it was time for me to make a change. And any time in my life that I felt something comfortable, same thing with aviation, all right, so I'm comfortable with aviation. No, no, I don't want to be comfortable. Let me go ahead and uh, I'll start doing this. Uh, you know, for the seaplanes, and I went now into helicopters. And personal life as well, you know, you start getting comfortable. So what I decided to do? I'm going to start building a house now. I mean, not me building, but through somebody else. Because I've never done it before, it's, it's a whole new, different challenge, a whole new set of problems. Like if I need more problems, but I do, because you know you get to a point where, where you where you start feeling comfortable and bored, you gotta do something. And I think that's something uh, that's probably something I picked up from my father as well. He's up, man. He's all, dude. He's 86 years old. He's still coming up, or 85. He's always coming up with these 10-year plans. That now, you know, you look at yourself thinking, man, what the hell's gonna happen next? You know, what kind of, what kind of mix?
0: What kind of mess am I getting? Kind of a thing. Well, I, I like that idea because, you know, I think we all go through that at some point in our life, in our career, where it's like you, you do get to that point where it's like, wh- what's what's next? Like, is this as good as it's going to get? And you don't really know how to most people, I don't think, know how to work themselves out of that hole. Like they're just kind of get stuck there for a while. And like you say, you kind of get depressed and kind of dragged down as things kind of get monotonous. So. I think it kind of goes back to the idea of uh, one of the business skill sets I think is so important for anyone to have is you know to know when you've been at a party for too long <laughs> and to know yeah. how to leave the party and then what's you know what to do after the party is over um because I don't think we plan for that a lot I don't think we know how how to plan <laughs> for that we always just plan for you know good times and good feelings and then we get into this part where it's like it it just it's inevitable. It doesn't work out that way. So I think the whole setting goals is and having a ten year plan sounds silly to some people. But at least you know you can refine and rework that plan and say you know have something to work towards.
1: You know, we just I just had a because I'm starting three farms now. Three started one two years ago and then uh, starting two more now, which is the reason why we had to change change the the time today right for the call. Mm-hmm. And I remember my dad asked me, he "Goes, "Gonya, why would you do that? Don't you have all the tobacco you want from here?" I go, "Dad, you know what it is. How can I live a whole lifetime after seeing you and not having started my own farm? I have to. I, I, I want the failures. I want to understand the failures. Obviously, I want the successes more than the failures. But you know, it, it's very odd. I got to the point in life where I actually enjoy failures. Is you know, it's not a masochism thing." I think it, it, it's a uh, continuous process because now I understand. Ah, oh, now I understand kind of a thing. I, I need I need that moment to understand why things are, why things aren't the way they are. And I'm just, uh, listen, I'm boggling myself up with these new, new challenges, which I really enjoy, man. They're painful, man, because at this level, the, the stakes are a lot higher. The expenses and the risk are much higher. But I really do I, I enjoy going through it. I enjoy going through those growing pains. And I uh, look, I'll be fifty-one next week. Wow. And my father, the last Camacho, when when I came on board, I think he was in his mid fifties. So I, I see the energy he had at the time. And now, you know, you get to a point, I don't know if your father's still with you, Antoine, but you get to a point where you still you begin to remember your father or mother at the same age that you had, that you are now and where they were at that point. So you start, it's inevitable for you to compare. So I, anytime I kind of feel like uh, depressed or I need a little energy, I just thinking, man, that old man from a wheelchair, he could do this. He could do that. And that, that does drive. Me. Cause I, I'm very competitive by nature too, in that way. So, uh, but he, he, he does still drive me.
0: Now I know your father Uh, instilled in you the importance of learning every part of the kind of cigar and tobacco industry kind of process, uh, rather than you just being able to work the area that you kind of like the most. So in that learning, that mastering of all the different uh, or the attempt to master uh, all these different areas of the tobacco industry, which one was your favorite and then which one did just didn't, you know, did you just say that's not my thing
1: i love the sorting process sorting fermentation and sorting that's my absolute favorite a um there's something about the smells the look and i think what it is it, it's it allows me to fantasize and the point for, for example we just started growing we call it peanut here but that's, that's not going to be the name eventually it's the original seed that dino argudin brought to honduras from cuba the stories you hear about the coffee cans all that, this is this this is the seed that the stories are about it was a tobacco that was abandoned many many years ago because of blue mold and and uh, all types of plagues it's not it's not a very strong seed to you know of course just like we evolved plagues and and fungus and bugs and everything they they too evolve and they learn how to attack so you know you you so you look at that tobacco you grow it, and now you're fermenting the tobacco, and you start to fantasize. You're like, man, I, I wonder what this cigar is going to taste like. So I'm already thinking about the cigars that are coming out in 24. You know, 23 for me is actually, I, I'm really struggling because I want the new stuff already, because okay. I, I'm just focusing so much on the 20, on the on the Pina Reño stuff. So, yeah, so fermentation is absolutely, and, and sorting, my favorite man, and I just love the smells, the colors of tobacco and the fact that it can take me and take my fantasies in that direction. I hate sales, man. I hate sales. I hate I hate the um how can I say it? A uh mm. let me rephrase it because that's not that's not the, the right I didn't word it right. I love I love sorting and I love being down in Honduras so much that I hate the fact that I that I have to be in the U.S. to keep building the business. So that's what really frustrates me. Sometimes I'll go on the road and it'll be, listen, we travel 35 weeks a year. We're always on the road. You know, it's funny because I'll get with, uh, you know, I get with uh, sometimes like the marketing people and they're like, hey, man, you got to go, bro, how much more do I have to travel, man? I'm gone 35 <laughs> weeks a year. You know what I mean? I just, I don't know. I don't know how else to do it. Which is fine, but and I love cause every trip. It keeps you away from, keeps you away from the factory. And now that we're developing the box factory as well, and that kind of happens to me, man. I, I I have trouble living in the moment. I'm always thinking about the next. Okay, we just built the box mm-hmm. factory. We got new equipment coming. I just want to get. I just want to be at that time already and see it working. So I just want to press every day. I wish the 24 hours would get a lot faster, you know. So um, so anyways, yeah. So I dislike that part of it. Because it keeps me away from what I really want to do and and yeah you know, I love the life in Honduras
0: a lot now for those people who are kind of new to cigars, can you explain kind of in layman's terms what fermentation is and why it's important to the yeah. cigar process
1: yeah when, when tobacco first when tobacco's cut from the from the field, you want to hang the leaves to let the chlorophyll it's called in the curing barns. And you want to make sure that the chlorophyll leaves the, the leaf, but the leaf is not yet ready. So what you do is you put the tobacco in something called bulk, which you put one leaf one leaf on top of each other. And this, this process happens. And each one's about, it's uh, it's called a pilon or bulk. Each one's about 1,500 to 2,000 pounds. And there's a process that you repeat. Because the tobacco, when it's just like hay out in the field, when tobacco's on top of each other, it's going to start generating heat that he's going to evaporate the moisture and that's the fermentation process. So once all the moisture is gone, you have to do what's called flipping, flipping the bulk, which you have to take the tobacco that was on the top, you put on the bottom, what was on the outside, you put on the inside and you rotate and it happens every six, seven days. You got to keep putting your hand in there, feeling the temperature. You can do the, uh, you can do the the thermometers as well. You know, there's a whole mix of, is a, the whole mix of processes when this happens, but at the end the leaf becomes more ready to smoke and the color starts turning darker. There was a time when we did the Camacho Corojo. Corojo was such a new leaf. I mean, it was so old. It was what made it was what made Cuban cigars popular in the 1930s and 40s to begin with, but it was abandoned in 87 because of blue mold. Everything I told you. So when we launched Corojo in 2000, the Camacho Corojo, the authentic Corojo, seed, not the hybrids. It completely revolutionized the cigar industry to the point that Cuba started using the name Corojo, and I was unable to protect that name. And now, you know, I regret it because I was only 29 years old, 28, 29 years old. I wish I had the experience that I had now because I would have fought a lot more, and I would have owned the Corojo name because the, the registration, the trademark, was given to me by Daniel, Daniel Rodriguez, the person, the people who developed the, uh, the person who developed the, uh, the seed, and had the trademark. So, you know, it's um. Once, once the fermentation, so because the tobacco became so popular, other people were trying to compete, and the only way that they would do it, they would they would make the cigars with unfermented tobacco, or tobacco wasn't fermented all the way through, just so that people could feel the body, but really it was just rawness, and you would get this taste back here. So, uh, I mean, that's just on the fermentation. So there is a there is a finish fermentation tobacco needs to be fermented all the way i hear some people talking about double fermentation triple fermentation i really don't know what that means to be honest <laughs> with you maybe I, i'm not gonna sit here and tell you i know everything about tobacco from what i know there's only one way to cook the only one way to uh ferment tobacco when it's finished that's it just like meat, you can have meat uh <laughs> rare medium rare or uh you know medium well well done That's it. I don't think there's, you can't double cook meat kind of a thing. That's my, my opinion. But again, I don't know it all. I don't pretend to know it all either. So, but I still don't know what that means. I hope, I hope one day I can learn.
0: I do feel like sometimes there, you know, sometimes in the tobacco industry, as in any industry, some terms kind of get created to kind of, you know, try to one up (laughs) the next company or to try to make it seem like, like we don't have anything really interesting to say. So let's create something some some interesting term or, or phrase that we're gonna like, you know, use to kind of push this product. So um see,
1: you know, when when we opened up the conversation, I told you that I'd miss those old guys. That's exactly it. I'm telling there was no BSing, man. We you didn't sit there with these first of all, you respected them so much you weren't gonna BS them. And they weren't gonna BS you because they love they love to mentor people and they love to teach. And there was never mm-hmm. none of that that BS yes, crap, man! That like, oh yeah, yeah, this and that, and uh, that's why you know I was still with the marketing people, and oh man, we got to tell this and, and talk about the tobacco. I go, bro, everything, everything has already been said and reset. In ninety nine percent of the times, let well, I me mean, not say that, but many, many times, people don't mean it that. There's just a marketing thing. It doesn't. It it sounds. I mean, it's, it's it sounds like a lie. It sounds too hokey. So I hate using a lot of those terms. You know, terms like "aniversario," terms like uh, you know, limited, exclusive, stuff like that. I hate those terms, man, because it's it's really not. I don't think it connects that much anymore because it was it was done in such a poor way. People try not to. So, I like I like the cigar to stand on its own. Matter of fact, I would love my dream is just like when I had the uh, the the Camacho Pro Diploma, which I had cigar with no band. I dream of being able to do another cigar without a band into the marketplace. It's just really hard. It's really hard now and it's hard to, um, there's so many more brands now. It's hard to stand out that way, but I want to do it. Cause I think that's, that's just like the coolest thing ever, man. That's like having a chiseled body and going to every party with no shirt on. man. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that, that <laughs> I can't do that anymore, but I wish I could pull, out, pull that off with a cigar.
0: Now, what year did you start CLE and what was that first year like <laughs> of, of having your own brand?
1: Man, I started in 2012, so listen, when I came into Camacho, it was the boom time, and I served the purpose. I was learning in the factory, the farms, learning all that stuff, but my main main contribution was opening up to the world of tobacco, because we couldn't get enough tobacco. You know, our production was sold 18 to 24 months ahead of time, so I had to go to Indonesia, Bangladesh, and these other places, so I was able to grow a company that already existed, but I'd never started anything from scratch in the cigar business. Yeah, a seaplane company had other companies of other things. But starting from scratch was man, it was hard. Getting a phone line was hard. Getting uh, you know, your your um uh stationary. Not that we use that much stationary anymore, but I mean <laughs> twelve years ago we we're still using stationary eleven years ago. The first, the first, we opened up July second, two thousand twelve. And that week we took a road trip. Back then Robert Cobble with us. It was Tom Lazuka and this kid out of Michigan named Nook. I mean, we call him Nook. His name was Lucas Mercer. And we, t- we took a road trip. So t- I pulled Tom from Davidoff because he, he was, man, he was, he was in that purse. He, he didn't want to get off because you know, Davidoff didn't want to let him go. And they just kept making really, really good offers. I said, bro, come on, man. You got you to man up. What are you doing? You're going you to stay in the porch? You're going to come run. So finally, he said, okay, fine. I'll do it. So we go on that first road trip. We didn't sell anything. nothing but it was the week before the trade show in orlando we didn't say anything so (laughs) you know there was a lot more humor then tom was miserable that week he i'm thinking he was thinking man what did i do what did i do to myself i can't believe i walked away from that for this uh yeah so first but something happened like the fourth or fifth day when we went to visit corona cigar you know jeff from corona really really nice guy great business i mean this guy is really focused business he has a huge desk right and, and he's almost like david letterman that you feel like he's like he's sitting at a high, higher level on his chair so we had three cigars at the time we had the cle we had the asylum we had the windwood so we put all the boxes in front of him we sit down you know and it's, so jeff kind of gets up on that big table pushes away the windwood pushes away the asylum he says i don't want to talk to you guys i just want to talk to chris i'm only interested in his product but thank you for coming
0: <laughs> oh wow and Tom was
1: so furious and I think if Jeff watches this he'll contest this but it happened just like that and <laughs> Tom was furious right I mean he was just steaming and so he had, they had like a manager meeting in that, that little hallway or something they said yeah, yeah 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 listen we're here with asylum so Tom gives one of the guys an asylum and one of the kids goes oh my god I've been hearing about the cigar already so something clicked in all our heads it was just, just. I mean, it was one of those moments that you remember. So it kind of, Jeff, like, really? Jeff looks at the kid and says, really? And, bro, and it was the impact. Because we only wanted to sell three to 600,000 cigars a year. I go, Tom, bro, I want a simple life. I don't want to travel all the time. I, I don't want that crap anymore, man. I want to keep it simple. And, man, when Asylum comes out, it just exploded. Asylum was huge. So I remember... Just seven days at the show, man, when people are placing crazy orders and crazy orders and crazy orders. At that point, I was on the non complete So I really couldn't get a booth at the trade show. So I talked to Joe Rowe at the time and kind of, hey, Joe, man, I need you to give me a booth, but I can't talk to you yet. That was like at the trade show and, and and the year before. And he says, listen, Christian, I can talk to you in January. All right, fine. January 2nd, you call the office. It'll, it'll be under the uh, X-Men or something like that. It was a special code. And the booth he gave me, I was so pissed off, is next to the bathroom on the edge. I go, oh, what a dick. All right, whatever. I got to take whatever I can get. Man, I realize that's the best booth to have, bro, because everybody goes to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I did not know that, man. I mean, you would never think it. So if anybody from the, <laughs> anybody's new, get your booth next to the bathroom, always. Man, it was, it was incredible. So that thing picked up. So I remember being with Tom, like the last day of the show, and I sit back on that couch, I go, Tom, they We're gonna have time salespeople because this thing's going a whole different direction. It was really impressive. I don't that, that is the single highest or fastest growing brand ever in the cigar business, Asylum. And it was the brand that was copied by more people. You know, we didn't come up, and that was Tom's idea to do that 70 by 7. It was um I, I thought it was the stupidest thing ever. And I I did it as a dare. All right, fine, listen, I'll make $5,000 and you'll see we're gonna eat them. Oh, man. And we weren't the first, uh, I I think, um, was it JFR? Yeah, JFR, I just forget. I know exactly what it is. I just forget the name. I think the name was JFR. And they had the 70 by 7. But for some reason, they couldn't supply it. Or for some reason, the way we made ours, the band, the color of the cigar, the price, the packaging, anything and everything about it just connected with people at the time. But it also coincided with the launching of of, um, Instagram. Instagram came out in 2011. So people start doing Instagram 2012, and they want to post outrageous pictures. I, that's my theory. Other people said the cigar was 7 bucks when it first came out, and it was great value. So I never really knew exactly what the reason was. I want to ask many questions, but it's happening worldwide. Same thing that happened here, happened in France, Spain. It's happening in Africa now. It's happening in the Middle East. It's happening in China, and it's happening in the Asian countries. So there's just something
0: about that that brand that works really well. Now this year there's a new asylum coming out. This Asylum Sensorium. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, we did the sensorium was a special cigar using the peanut in your tobacco. It's uh in the 50, 50, 60 dollar range. So it's a real, real special cigar for us. You know, we didn't do wide distribution with it. We just went with a few customers that really um that we wanted to 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 share these cigars with. And uh, but yeah, asylum's been this this was the year of asylum. We did a repackage for asylum as well. And we have the asylum eight six seven. That's coming out, which that one is shredded in, in all kinds of controversy, because of, of the original was the cigar that we designed with Bill from Deadwood, and it was called the Deadwood Cigar, Chasing the Dragon, or Deadwood Tobacco. I forget. The, listen, man, Dead, Deadwood Tobacco, Chasing the Dragon, and but there was a conflict there with a trademark issue, something between them. I said, all right, fine. The cigars are really good. I mean, these guys, what, the, what these guys developed it was Bill and his staff from Deadwood. Uh, you know, they have the store there with South Dakota. So the cigar that they, they designed is exceptional. Something very, very different, way out of my comfort zone. And I think I think there's something different. And I think the brand with Asylum works really well. So I didn't want to scrap the project. So what we did was just we we went with Asylum 867 as the name. But it was originally designed, like I said, f- by them and for them. It was supposed to be a Deadwood, Deadwood cigar. So um, that that's a new stretch for us as well. So, yeah, we have the Sensorum. We have the Final 867. And um, we have another one called the uh, Assam Cold Brew. I don't know if it's Cold Brew or Cool Brew. I think it's Cold Brew. And now it's coming out also. And it, that'll be at the trade show as well. So we have uh, we have these available. And then we'll see next year, man. I gotta, I'm gotta, already working on this stuff for next year. Like I said, I want it to be next year already.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Um, you just mentioned the trade show. So another part of you and your business is that you are part of the PCA board. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So for, for, I know that there's a lot of consumers that watch this um, and they may not be familiar with PCA. Some of them think I know when I speak to people about PCA, uh, they think it's just a trade show, but. Obviously, the work of the PCA goes on 365 days a year. So how would you describe the PCA to someone who's unfamiliar with it?
1: Well, listen, the PCA is the one. We have three associations in the industry. We have one called the CAA, Cigar Association of America. I sat on that board for, I think, 20 years, for a very, very long time on that board, or maybe yeah, 25, 26 years, I think, on that board. I forget the dates. There's one called CRA, Cigar Rights of America, which was originally meant to be a, a consumer organization, right? And then PCA, that originally was really in charge of the trade show in its origin. But at the turn of the century, imagine the turn of the century, in the late 1990s, mm-hmm. you know, when uh, Meathead over in, in California, Rob Reiner passed the first smoking ban in California. And this is something, I mean, it, this is Antoine, you're young, a lot of people out there are much younger, but imagine you walk into any restaurant and they would ask you, smoking or not smoking. When and when you're on the road, you learn listen, You always ask for the non-smoking area because that's where the hot waitresses are, and the ugly ones they they, they stick them in the uh, non- in the smoking area. So when Rob Reiner came out with the first smoking ban in California, and he comes out and he says, "Look, we're going to ban smoking everywhere in the world," and I thought that was such a crazy concept. So, man, wasn't he right? It just happened in like that, man. It happened in, in months, a couple years. The whole world went non-smoking, it seems, right? So the uh, there really wasn't that much of a need for lobbying or any sort of representation. And CAA was doing most of it at the time. It was really the only association that was organized. But then in 2007, 2008, we get hit with S-chip. Uh, s chip begins to flare up, s chip was this tax that put like a, a at the retail level was almost like a dollar extra per cigar, and we were trying to avoid it, and we realized that one association wasn't enough, and we realized how poorly organized we really were as an industry, extremely poorly organized. Or, or which is my real suspicion is that politicians realized that here's another segment that we're not getting enough money out of, in lobbying money and campaign money, and all that crap, and said, "All right, let's stick these idiots in the pot too." So also now we're part of the stew, right? So, um, so PCA really began changing its direction to become an advocacy uh, association. Yes, Trace was a big part of the association. Trace was a big part of of what he does. I mean, that's Trace is what you see. That's the face. That's the tip of the iceberg. Maybe you can almost use, make the uh, the analogy that way. But PCA is now more and more getting involved. Or actually no, not more and more. It's completely and fully involved in lobbying and advocacy for uh for the industry. It's amazing. And I think um I think Antoine, hopefully we can we can get to the point where as a board member I'm almost not directing you, but I'm I'm telling you my wish is that we could really get in, the consumers involved as well and, and bring everybody else into the fold. And that's on you, Antoine. You're being yeah, you're, just you're being
0: I was like, say full disclosure for those watching and listening, like I am the content director for PCA, but I always like to have uh instead of me telling you what my definition of PCA is, to have one of the board members kind of tell you what what PCA is. Because I think you you tell them a much compelling way. But I was, you yeah, know you. what? The truth is, is like um, you know, we I've been doing filming a couple episodes this week, knowing that PCA is next week. So obviously. There's going to be uh, on the show coverage for PCA, and hopefully I can do a little bit of for deep cuts as well while I'm there. But um, I was speaking to Miguel from Crown Heads, and you know, we were talking about the industry, and we were having this discussion about how a lot of cigar companies sometimes see the industry in a linear way, like two points. There's a manufacturer and there's a retailer, when really it's like a triangle, because you have the consumer in there and so many companies don't activate all three points of this, you know, of this triangle. And so you kind of lose out a little bit, like the circuit's not being completed. So you can't really, um, like in order to really have success or really get across anything, whether you're selling a product or selling a message, like you have to have buy-in from the consumer and also from the retailer if you're if from the manufacturer standpoint you know point of view and then of course that works either way from whatever point of the triangle you're working from. So as you said like the consumer needs to be part of the conversation so that we can you know better communicate what we what we need. And I think for that uh from my point of view content is is where you, that comes into play because you have to provide them context for why they should care. Like if a bill comes out and says You know, the FDA is trying to uh, tell manufacturers how they have to run their factory, which seems crazy to some people, but that's actually a bill that's being considered. Um, They need to know how a factory really works and why that doesn't, you know, why applying the same rules as a pharmaceutical company or how they run their factories to a a cigar factory doesn't really, you know, match up a work. Um, So, you and I have a whole lot of work (laughs) to do in order to kind of move the conversation forward and to get, like I said, more um, just participation from all parts of the industry uh, into what we're doing. Well, you know what happened on the consumer side? So imagine,
1: you know, people don't accidentally smoke a cigar, right? People really, really plan to go smoke a cigar. Hey man, you know, it's. I get out of work at 5.30, I'll be at the shop at 6.15. Man, I, I really want to smoke this new cigar. You know, I just saw the Antoine show. I want to try that. I saw Six or the Sensorium. So they plan on that day. So imagine you get to the you get to the store, you buy your cigar. You don't know. You, you sit down at your spot. I don't know if you listen to music. I don't know if you got some buddies there. But you simply go into the corner. And you don't want to talk to anybody. You light up the cigar. You begin to enjoy. You just paid. I don't know eight bucks, fifteen bucks, fifty bucks for that cigar. And all of a sudden, some idiot shows up. Hey, man did you know trying to take your cigars right sorry, your car away and, and you want to do this and they want taxes and they want to put us out of it. So I'm like, dude, that's not the right approach, man. The guy just wants to relax. He wants to escape the world. Maybe that guy didn't want to go home to his wife or maybe, uh, you know, may, maybe there's, um, I don't know, maybe this lady that's just smoking cigars and she just got promoted, wants to celebrate. No one wants to hear anything negative. So I think that's one thing that was very challenging on the consumer side. You know, how do you, how do you really, uh, bother people when they're, they're looking for their own, uh, their own comfort at that moment. So uh, yeah, it, listen, it is challenging but I think that the PCA is doing really good things and and when you walk up and down the halls and you hear that sometimes legislation goes on goes goes through because of one phone call. You know, there's so many issues that, that are really not that important and cigars are as much as because it's our world we get it, but in their world it's not that big an issue and uh sometimes one two three four phone calls because they have a list. You can call and complain to your congressman is, you know, we're, we're taught to do this in elementary school. And they keep a list. They don't really care about the reason most times. They just have a tally, yes or no. And if that tally, they got one call, one phone call for yes and five for no, that just says, okay, whatever, oh, we'll go with no. Because we can't assume that these guys have a strong position on cigars. I mean, we had a handful, but not everybody else. You know, you, you talk to someone like, uh, I don't know, AOC. A, uh, AOC probably doesn't even know, doesn't even care. So she probably just thinks the cigarettes. okay, right, what's everybody else doing? Did we get any phone calls? And she'll vote yes or no, depending on the phone calls.
0: And I do think, you know, in terms of, because I always have worked in the industry from the, the con, from the media content side. So I, I do feel like we have to provide people with stories, with mm-hmm. education that tells them what is the difference between a, a cigar and a cigarette. Because there are so many people that just they just don't know because they they just, they're told they're all the same thing and they just don't know, they don't have any context for that. And I also think, you know, that we have to figure out how to get messages to people or meet people where they are, because there are so many, you know, like in the cigar industry, there's so many magazines out there, but I think we're reaching this point where people aren't really big into reading. (laughs) It's really hard to get somebody to sit down these days and read a story that takes, you know, if it takes more than 30 seconds for them to read, because 30 seconds is, is maybe what they will spend looking at a video or something like that. Um, it's just really hard to get people to read. And I know that that's our our main mode of, of communication in the industry. But it's like we have to, to kind of move forward to like audio and video because that's where, where people are. Like they spend time on, you know, people spend hours on YouTube just going through video to video to video. Um, they spend time on TikTok, you know, hard, you know, 10 second videos. Like how can we condense down our messaging to, you know, 10 seconds and maybe split that message into like three or four different videos to get the full message across. But I think we have a lot of, like I said, as an industry in terms of mm-hmm. communication and content, uh, we do have a little bit ways to go because there's so much activity built around PCA. You see so many different media going out there doing videos and stuff. And then afterwards it kind of gets a little bit quiet until the next trade show. It's like how do we keep, you know, how do we keep that conversation going throughout the year where it's like really busy and really engaging and get people, you know, in that PCA Super Bowl <laughs> mindset, like I said, throughout the year outside of those three or four days of the trade show. Yeah, I mean <laughs>
1: this it, 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 it's always a challenge, right? You know how, how do you do it? You know, like social media, we started exploring Instagram, and, and we found videos have to be six to eight seconds. It's amazing, and it's really hard to deliver a message in six to eight seconds. And oftentimes, people don't have their headphones and either. it, so it has to mm-hmm. be a visual communication very quickly. Yeah, man. Listen, I'll tell you what. I'm glad we're we're uh, we're in the cigar industry and not in the I don't know beer or, or soft drink industry, where where their message is even harder. Cause I don't know if if anybody else watches TV like I do, I skip the commercials. You know, now you just record everything and then uh, you just fast forward through everything. Cause I don't want to put up, I don't want to listen to any of that crap. It drives me crazy. And there really aren't, haven't been that many compelling commercials. So, in our industry, how do we keep the communication open? And I think the only way to do it is to keep trying, Antoine, di- different, uh, different avenues. And I, I like this format that you have. I really do. Is and uh, will we'll help you. Get out there because I think uh, education is also very when you're really into something, you know, for example, now another another hobby that I have is like building cars. Right? When I get too bored, I build cars and so I'm building this. Uh, I just bought this old Mercedes the, the G wagon and you know, the things that I want to do to it. And that's all I do, man. I'm hyper focused. I'm watching videos on this crap now and that's all I do. So I, I, I want to think that people when they get into cigars are the same way and that they're yearning for good content. So I think
0: uh you just have to produce quality content. Exactly. Um you talked a little bit about Asylum's new releases. Is there anything new coming out from CLE? Especially like I said, by the time this airs, we'll we'll be in the middle of, of ten thousand announcements of new products from other companies. So Yeah, I know, this- man. <laughs> yeah. No, I said we did all right. So we had a um I
1: think it was a twenty twenty one ratio. So of course, 2020 was canceled, but twenty twenty one we had that trade show. It was 21, right? Yeah, I think 21. We had the trade show, so we all got together, and it wasn't an organized thing. We kind of just whispered amongst each other, and we all developed PCA exclusive cigars because we wanted to. You know, it got to a point where people started becoming. Uh, how can I say? The popular of the show was going a whole different direction that we wanted to go. So, not many people were, you know, more and more people every year were not going to the trade show. So we wanted to do something different and we started PCA exclusives. Most, most manufacturers did them. A bunch of them did them. I don't have a list right now. I'm sure you can look it up somewhere. Yeah. We started doing this PCA exclusive cigars for people for only for customers that went to the trade show. So we did one for, um, asylum. This, this will be the third year that we do it. we did one for, um, for Edoa. And then this year we're introducing one for Sealy, and this will be a Connecticut wrap cigar. And, um, I've actually been smoking that cigar only this whole trip. I, I I came up with a blend that I really like. I think people are really gonna enjoy it. And I had and it came down to two choices. One was a little stronger than the other one. Then the other one I was with this kid, uh, Rupert Miller, that works with us. He goes, Christian, go with the milder one, man. Just go against your nature. Go against. Go for the milder one. So we went one. It's not really mild, but it's milder than the other one. So it's probably right down the right down the pipe. You know, five 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 out of ten far his body and strength, so we're doing exclusive one for uh for CLE, and that's for only for people that come to the trade show, and then we start showing the Asylum Twelve, uh, which comes out next year, but that's an exclusive cigar that we do. Um, we do it once a year. This it's a it's a small run that we do, only twenty uh, something thousand cigars, and uh, <clears throat> but yeah, but that's do that CLE PCA uh, PCA CLE exclusive is going to be one that people are going really, really going to enjoy. And I'm glad we we're able to do it for the association, which, by the way, I think we're, we're, we're um, this year we're approaching record breaking numbers. So it was a huge turnaround for um, for everything. Good thing they brought in great board members like me. <laughs> 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 I'll take all, I'll take all the credit. No, um, no it was really and a sports- good effort. And, and the industry came together in a good way. I, I really like I enjoy what I've seen. I really have.
0: Yeah, like I said, I think there's a lot of excitement going into the show. And I know, like I said, that this is, we're filming this beforehand, but hopefully by the time this airs, people will have seen a whole, you know, three or four days worth of uh, activity coming out of Vegas. And they see that the cigar industry is prospering. People are excited about what they're doing. And, uh, you know, they, they'll kind of see that, you know, we're, we're putting a lot of effort into bringing the industry together to kind of showcase the best of, you know, what it has to offer in terms of products and also in terms of, you know, this expertise, people, professionals, everything that this industry has to offer. Um, At this point in the show, I usually like to kind of wrap up this part of the interview with two questions. Uh, The first of those questions is, do you have a philosophy that you live by?
1: you know, we were in a panel in Nicaragua for one thing that they asked, they asked, uh, they asked something about, and I never, never knew about this, never knew this about myself is, uh, you know, do, do, do you get mad when you make mistakes? So I would say my philosophy is that I look for the mistakes as quickly as possible because I want to find the bad things as, as soon as I can. That way I I know it works when what doesn't work. And I thought, you know, just keep moving forward, man. Just keep falling, keep falling forward all the time. That's really it. no matter whether you made the mistakes or not, and learn as much as you can from every every situation. And look at man, you get knocked down a lot. You got, the more up, the more goals you seek, the more failures you're gonna have, and the more setbacks you're gonna have. Look at if you if you just want to do one thing and not challenge yourself with anything else, then you'll be fine. But if you really ha- have that that curious personality and in the just, the world is journey. You just want to keep moving forward. And you're yearn, yearn to move forward. You're going to feel a lot. So just be ready for it and have fun, enjoy, and laugh. Laugh at yourself. There's nothing else you can do.
0: Um, for the last question, I would like you to complete the sentence. Christian Yora is a true tobacco man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Those are the words my father put into me when I was little. and you, you, When I started my career, listen, you have to be a tobacco man. You have to be a tobacco man. So, yeah, man, tobacco, man. That's what I like.
0: Awesome. Well, for those of who, for those of people who are not watching this uh, and they haven't seen the banner that's been on the screen most of the show, can you tell people what social media, what website they need to go to in order to keep up with CLE and Asylum? Oh, shit.
1: Bro, <laughs> uh, we got, uh at at Christian Edoa, at CLE Cigars, or at CLE Cigar, at CLE Cigar, at Aidoa Cigars, and at Asylum13Cigars. And then, uh, yeah, we have CLEcigars.com also, but man, it's so funny, man. Websites became obsolete almost.
0: So uh, Yeah, I I found that to be true. I found that, like, like people, I don't know what the the big change is and how people get their information, but I was talking to other people in the cigar industry, and they're just like, you know what, like, the website is kind of like an afterthought. Like, you don't really need a website anymore. So, um.
1: yeah, you know, we, we got to a point where, you know, with our website. We actually developed so you could buy off the website, but we're like the least competitive website ever. Our <laughs> freight's expensive, but I did it mostly just so that people can see you know, all the different products that we have. And because you go to a store, no matter how good the store is, they're not going to carry every single item that we carry. So we did the website for that. So I remember one of our one of our real good customers, a great friend and, and and mentor. I would call him a mentor. He says, Man, Christian, I can't believe you're doing this. I go, listen, would you go on the website and try to buy something? And he goes on, what? You're crazy. People are gonna hate you. You're too expensive. I go, that's the whole point, man. I just wanted the stuff listed and for people to know what the retail price is. Now, if yeah, they want to order something. So I think we we only sell like five thousand bucks a year for the website. Not a big thing. But it's it wasn't meant for that. It was meant just for display. Yeah, but the website is kind of a, a second thought. Well, yeah, I'm, awesome. trying, I'm trying to read the, the, the tags, and uh, so I don't know them all, man. But I, we have I I all cigars, and at, I signed 13 cigars, also. I don't know oh, if you can cool. get them from Gabriel later.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for coming on. And Christian and I will be filming two more things after this interview ends, so you can find those on the YouTube channel or probably on all the different social media sites afterwards. Uh, if you missed any of this interview, you can catch the full on the channel, which is youtube.com slash deep cuts live, or you can go to deepcutslive.com, and all the other, other 130 plus episodes uh, of deep cuts are there for your viewing and listening pleasure. Thank you, Christian for coming on. And like I said, we're getting ready to film two more things with Christian, but thank you everyone for watching this episode and YouTube will be recommending another, uh, video for you to watch, you know, now.